One Hope Church. Good morning. All right, we go a little better than that. It's a good morning. There we go. Uh, it's a privilege to be here to worship with you here this morning. Um, whether you're here in the parking lot or online, welcome. Um, let's go to the Lord um, in prayer on this beautiful, bright, and sunny uh, May day in Athens, Georgia. And uh, let's go to the Lord and give Him thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are a good and awesome God. And Lord, we're thankful for the privilege to come and to worship you and to lift your name on high. We thank you for the word that you have given us, um, the word that we read today in the scriptures and the word of life, your son Jesus, who came and put on human flesh in order to be both the good shepherd and the great sacrifice. We're thankful for the lamb that was slain and the Lamb that is risen, the one who will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. Please um, work in our hearts, and we thank you for your love and grace today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we are going to continue through the study of the book of John, the Gospel of John. We are in John um, chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles with you, want to open to John chapter 10, I'll be using the New American Standard um, Bible today, um, uh, and one of my favorite favorite um, translations or versions, and we have um, multiple good ones um, to, to use, um, and this is one of them. And uh, we're going to pick up from last week, remember last week, just a little context where Jesus had made the man who was born blind and, and made him be able to see, and then again, Jesus testifying of his, of his deity and of his, of his power and his purpose. And so, in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, truly I, truly, I say to you, these are the words of Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up by some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. And so here again, Jesus is making, uh, he's using this analogy of sheep and a shepherd, and the, the sheep hear the voice of the, of the shepherd, that the one that is, is true and the one that, that seeks to protect them, but then runs um, away from, from others who they do not know. And then they didn't fully understand the figure of speech, and so Jesus is going to give them more. So let's just go ahead with verse 7. It says, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So in verses 7 through 10, Jesus is making it even more clear that he's the, you know, he's the door of the sheep. Um, 
he's also going to, in just a minute, say he's the good shepherd. So the, the, the thing about Jesus is he's the only one that can fit you know, multiple parts of the figure of speech or multiple parts of the analogy. He is the one who is the, the door um, for the sheep. He is the one who is the good shepherd. He is ultimately the one who is the perfect Lamb of God who is slain for our sins. He is both um, both the priest and the sacrifice at the same time. Um, Jesus is all in all, as he has always been the ultimate. Um, and it's just, just awesome that he is that. He is the ultimate. But Jesus makes a contrast between himself and the thief that comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. The ultimate thief um, is the great enemy, you know, Satan, the devil, the one who had rebelled, the angel who fell, who had rebelled um, uh, in pride and took a third of heaven um, with him and has been at war, you know, with God. And then, you know, we as humans um, are then... Um, the, the ones that, that each want the, the, the good shepherd wants to save us and protect us and the, the enemy wants to kill us and destroy us and everyone who lines up with the enemy's side also is a thief and a robber who comes to steal and kill and destroy and we know that there are many people in our world today that their motive in life is to steal and kill and destroy I mean, a very simple and obvious, um, uh, you know, group of, of people that we could we could say that to about are you know human traffickers. What do they seek to do? To rob, to steal, to steal, to kill, to destroy. Why? For their own power, for their own profit, and for their own pleasure. But that's not just limited to human traffickers. I mean, you know, just to like, okay, that's the worst example that we can think of. But there are many with motives that are um, solely self-seeking and if others have to suffer then they are okay with others suffering as long as they get theirs and so we need to be careful the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy Jesus warns that there have been many false prophets he does the same thing at the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying um, in our house fellowship that um, you know people are um are prone to believe, you know, false false prophets, and that there are many false prophets um, in the world, and so we need to be on guard about that. But how do we know that Jesus is ultimately the one? He says in verse eleven, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." Jesus came to die and to give his life as a ransom, as a full payment for us, as a full payment for our sins. He is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. That is what Jesus, that's what he came to do. He came for the purpose in our place, in our, our behalf. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am 
the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That ends verse 15. And I just want to think back, you know, think back to, um, you know, King David, because again, um, you know, King David obviously had flaws, but um, in some important ways, um, you know, Jesus fulfills the role of what, you know, he's like the ultimate king, okay? And so where David, King David had his, obviously we know his falls or failures, obviously Jesus didn't, but there were some good qualities that David had that were displayed um, in his life. And so one of those, remember when he was, when he was young and before he had his great conflict with the giant Goliath, he was a shepherd of the sheep, okay, and and they were his family's sheep, and so he was an, an owner um, of those sheep. Um, you know, he they were important to him, and he talks about how he protected, you know, the sheep, and how you know he he killed the lion and and the bear to protect um, his sheep uh, from being killed and from being scattered. As a lot, God gave him power, you know, to do that. But if he had just been a hired hand, a hired hand isn't like, you know, I'm not going and doing, um, you know, one-on-one combat with a lion for somebody else's sheep. Um, they don't, we call that, they don't pay me enough to do that. You know, and many people in their jobs, there's a certain threshold, a certain line where you just go, you know, I'm not paid enough to do that, whatever that is in your particular field. And so there comes a point where you would rather walk out the door, you would rather walk out the door than to do what is being asked of you in that moment. And in some senses, I mean, that's a right and normal you know, way of thinking, right? I mean, like, you're sitting there, like, you know, if you work at a grocery store or a convenience store and, and you're the one that is doing the transactions and somebody comes in with a gun and says, like, give me the money, you're not like, you know, I'm going to go fight you one-on-one uh, because of this, you know, $100 that you want that's not even mine that belongs to the store. It's like, not, like here's, the, here's what's in the cash register. You just go on ahead now. But now the owner of the store might have a different perspective and might do things differently in that same scenario. Because it's his. Or it's hers. And they're gonna, they might be willing to fight for it. Whereas the hired one is normally just going to be like, nah, they don't pay me enough for that. So the hired hand to look after the sheep is going to say, they don't pay me enough to do hand-to-hand combat with wolves. I'm out. Sorry, sheep, but your dinner for those wolves. But Jesus, for his sheep, is the good shepherd who lays down his life. He says in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then this is cool. In verse 16, he says, I have other sheep which are not of the fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. 
For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Okay, let me get hold off on that, but go back to where Jesus says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. What does he mean by that? You see, Jesus is going to fill, fulfill that ultimate promise that was given to Abraham that in his that in his seed all of the families of the earth would be blessed. So when Jesus is talking to the Jewish people and being a Jewish man himself, he's talking about a particular flock of Jewish people. But then he says, I have sheep who are not of this of this fold. What is the other fold? Well, that's the rest of us, the Gentiles. And in his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we can take the good news of Jesus throughout the earth and say there is a good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. You know, you need to to believe in and follow the good shepherd. But Jesus says here, he has intention to take of both folds and to make one flock with one shepherd. And we know that's ultimately going to come to fruition. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So here's the prophetic word of Jesus that he has the authority to go to the cross, to lay his life down. Remember, even at the cross, he says, Father, you know, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Like he, he breathed his last. He said it is finished. And he decided at what point it was done. He decided at what point he died. A physical death. And he decided at what point you know, he, he was going to take up his, he says, I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. Now that's power. Hey listen, you and I, we don't have that authority. You and I don't have that power. I can't say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to die today and then, hey, and then, you know, at this time later, I'm going to come back. You know, you have the you know people have the authority to end their lives prematurely, which is a terrible and sad thing. But they don't have the authority to then go back and undo that that decision in that scenario. That authority is limited. But Jesus had the authority to lay his life down as a sacrifice, and he had the authority to take it back up again. He says, "This commandment I received from God was, was the Father's plan and desire for him to do so." In verse 19, it says, A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? And so, here again, Jesus creates division. Jesus creates a dividing line. He always has and He always will. The dividing line is Jesus. And we've talked about this before. That when we, you have family members, you have friends, you have people you work with, 
who are not followers of Jesus. We want them to all be followers of Jesus, right? We don't want them to stumble over us and our attitudes and our actions or our words or our, the things that we do that are wrong or sinful. We, we want them to come to Jesus and then on Jesus, they either have to stand or stumble over. Jesus says he's the rock. He is the rock. He is the foundation of which you build your life. Or he is the stumbling rock of offense where people say, I'm offended by Jesus. Now, why are people offended by Jesus? Here they're offended uh, because he is, and we'll see this very clearly, they're offended because of his claim of deity. And his claim to be the door for the sheep, his claim to be the good shepherd, his claim to be the one who can lay his down, lay down his life and take it up again. They are offended at his claim that he is the savior and he, they're offended at his claim that ultimately he is the king. The same thing is true today. People are offended because they say, well, that's not the culture I grew up in. And so... You know, they have a decision. I've either got to change radically, like my whole belief system that I have been given since I was a child, or reject Jesus. That's the option. People are are offended because, you know, Jesus lets us know that we're we're sinful and that we've done things that are wrong and if you want self-justification and you want to say I'm good enough on my own and I'm right and I'm okay and I can do it myself Jesus is offensive to human pride Jesus is offensive to all of these things so there becomes a point of division and that point of division again should always be Jesus it should not be um, anything to do with with us or 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 our personalities, you know, we don't, we aren't the ones that have the responsibility to put people um, in right relationship with God or not in right relationship with God. We are the ones who have a responsibility to present Jesus purely and then people stand or fall on Jesus. Verse 22, at that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And the Jews then gathered around and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. The sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay. This is powerful. They're asking for Jesus to tell them plainly. Is He... Is He... The, the Christ. Tell us plainly. But Jesus is saying, I've already told you. And my works have already testified. Like, if, if you're going to listen, basically, you already would have listened. 
you know, there's sometimes where people like they, they they act like they want to still be convinced, but they've already made their decision. They have no intention of being convinced or being allowed to be convinced. And there's great confidence if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer of Jesus, you have great confidence in life because Jesus gives you eternal life. He says you will never perish. That's a promise. And then he says this, no one will lift them out of my hand. So you can't be snatched from the hand of Jesus. And then he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So you're in the son's hand and you're in the father's hand. And then... The scripture also tells us that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you are a sheep, if you are a true sheep, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have you. You are secured in the single unity of of the deity of God. And you are secure in the Trinitarian reality of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have you. Now, that should bring some peace. That should bring some comfort. That should be bring some joy. You know, in trying times, in trying times, and you know, when when the world is is freaked out, followers of Jesus should be able to have a certain level of of peace and joy that the rest of the world does not have. Regardless of the amount of the trial. Now, I don't want to get too far off tangent here, but I also want to encourage us, again, you know, we need to be cautious. We need to love our neighbors and protect others. When you go to the store, you know, because of your love of your family and your love of neighbors and friends, like, you know, put a mask on. Like, be be careful with the lives of other people and with your own, okay? Like as much as is, is reasonable. At the same time, folks, we can't be people who are given over to fear and live a life of trembling and trepidation and oh no, the sky is falling. We have been so blessed, most of us, to have lived life rather unscathed rather unscathed. I saw a post, I thought it was really powerful, and I'm not going to read it or give you all the statistics of it here this morning, but it just talked about what you would have endured in life, what you would have seen in life if you had been born in 1900. If you had been born in the year 1900, you would have, you know, as a teenager, World War I would have started. And you would have seen that World War. The war would have been over, and then you had the Spanish flu that killed many, many, many times more people what World War I did. Then you would have a little bit of like, hey, if things feel like they're better, uh-oh, now we've got the Great Depression. Where people in this country, I mean, really hungry. I'm talking really hungry. And desolate. And then... You go into World War II and the Holocaust. So if you've been born in 1900, that's your first 50 years of life. Consider that. Consider 
I mean, and, and there are people who in their individual experiences today have experienced like that level of difficulty and distress because of their particular you know, country that they've lived in or the particular things they've experienced in war, as obviously we've had others. But for many of us, if we are honest, we've endure, endured very little hardship. The problem is, when we've endured very little hardship, we tend not to be very tough. We tend to be as soft as our Charmin toilet paper. And so then when something happens, you know, we can, we can freak out. And again, hear the whole message. Be reasonable. Be loving to your neighbors. Take care of what you can take care of, but do not live a life of fear. Do not live a life of trepidation. And can I also just encourage us to be to be reasonable and to be um, aware of what we are prone to. And we've seen so many times, you know, I see people now as, as things are starting to open up back up and we can argue whether or not that is a good decision. I'm not here to argue that or to make the merits of that today. But here's what I am going to say. If you bought non-actuals, and which I have, we put other people at risk. And when we talk about non-essentials, what do we mean? There's a few things that arise uh, that are essential to your survival. Water. Most of us have reasonably clean water coming out of the tap. Rice and beans. You need something in your belly to survive. If you have a small child, you might need a couple of extra things related to that. If you have a health condition, you might need life-saving medicine. And you need some disinfectant. That's about it, folks. And so what I'm seeing now is we have everybody clicking on their click list like we have the dairy products, the cheese, the meat, then all these things. Well, other people had to be at risk both to produce those things and to deliver them to our homes. We were okay with that. But then everything else opens back up and people freak out. So we cannot, what I'm, what I'm encouraging here is just a balance in the situation of Jesus says, love your neighbors as yourself. So, I, I'm just saying, let's not be hypocritical when we're willing to put other people at risk, but not willing to have ourselves at risk. Now, and at the same time, risk is risk. Risk and risk is, risk tolerance is different and risk is different for different ones. If you're elderly, if you have health conditions, all the more to be on the cautious side. So again, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, let's be careful about what we're doing and that we're seeing the whole picture clearly and that we're not even just considering ourselves as we love our neighbors as ourselves. But folks, we have to store up some of our charity because if this continues... We have millions of people 
and other countries that are going to be in starvation situations. We already have many people in trouble around the world on that already, but it's going to be amplified 10 or 100 fold. And we're going to have to be ready to help those people. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, means he takes care of others, and if we are with him, he tells us to love God with all that we are, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we need to be considering that more and more in all the decisions that we make, in all of our decisions, that we are striving to love our neighbors as ourselves, and understanding that your neighbors in the church your neighbors in your in your actual neighborhood we have responsibility for all those but we also have responsibility for our neighbors in Mexico and in Tanzania and throughout the world we have responsibilities and we have an assurance And if there's any of us who can live free and live in position to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others, it's those who have received eternal life, right? Because if you've received eternal life, then you know that you're not, like, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. Yes, my body has an expiration date on it. I don't happen to know what that expiration date is, you know. I go to get my dairy, I go to get the milk, I pick up and I look, and there's a date on it that says, you know, best used by. Well, my life has one of those two. Best used by, or or no longer good after. Like, there's a date on it. I just don't happen to know, folks, what that date is. I can probably, with pretty good accuracy, put a maximum number on it. And that's about it. But my physical body has a shelf life. It has an expiration date. And I'm not looking to move that expiration date up closer to today. At the same time, this physical body is going to expire, but my spirit is going to live with forever and ever, and I'm going to have a new body and a new heaven and a new earth, so I don't have to worry about what happens when this body hits its expiration date. Can you say amen to that? If you have Jesus, you don't have to worry about your expiration date. You don't have to worry about what happens the day, you know, the moment after you've expired. Your physical body has expired because your spirit will not. Verse 31, it says, The Jews again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, from which you are from for which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, You are God's little g. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture could 
you say them whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming me, because I said I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Therefore, they were again uh, seeking to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing. And he was staying there, and many came to him and were saying, While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Okay. Let me um, talk about just a couple things here. One, they said, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Again, this is the this is the whole point, right? If Jesus is not God, then they are right to say that he is blaspheming. And according to the law of Moses, they were right to, to strive to kill him. But if he is the Son of God, then they need to follow him. They need to follow him. And Jesus uses the scripture, referring to us, you know, we are, you know, because we are made in the, the image of God, and God has made us unique and distinct from his creation. But he says this, he says, um, if I do not do the works of the Father, do not believe me. So he's saying, you know, test it. Test it by the works, see for yourself. But still, they wanted to try to seize him. He escaped. Um, he went, because it wasn't his time yet to go to the cross. And it says this, he went beyond the Jordan to where John was first baptizing, he was staying there, and many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. And what's interesting about some of these folks is, you know, in order to follow Jesus, they had to go on a journey. They had to go on a journey of exploration, and they had to go and seek the truth, and they had to leave the comfort of home, and they had to go... um, and they had to go out. And they had to go seek. And the scripture says those who seek will find and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So the question that John chapter 10 poses for everyone today is this. Is Jesus the good shepherd who laid His life down for the sheep? Or was He one who committed blasphemy? He lied. Um, he's not a truth teller. He's, he's a liar or a lunatic. Or is he the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and is ultimately Lord of all? That's what John chapter 10 um, you know, proposes. And you see the reaction to him by some is again to seek to kill him and the reaction of others is to follow him. In that same, um, in, in this narrative, that same question is brought to us today to either reject him or to follow him. But if folks, if we're going to follow him, let's follow him fully. You know, if we believe he's the good shepherd, then what does the good shepherd say? How does the good shepherd want us to live? What does the good shepherd want my attitude to be, my works to be, my life to be? What does the good shepherd want? Let me follow the good shepherd because I am a sheep. And I need to follow So we need to seek to strive to follow Jesus and to do things according to his teaching and according 
to his way and we can do that more and more as we study the word and know it and apply it to our lives there's knowing and then there's application and that's what changes and forms our character may God help us to do so what an awesome chapter John chapter 10 let's go to the Lord in prayer Um, Derek's going to come back up and lead us in um, two more songs if you brought your communion with you or you have it at at home watching at home um, you take that simple bread and that simple fruit of the vine um, and remember Jesus remember that the good good shepherd was sacrificed you know that he laid down his life for us the sheep we can take that um, in spirit and in truth and as again obedience Jesus said for us to do it and so really the simple thing is you know again what has Jesus asked me to do and whatever he asked me to do that's what I want to do that should be our hearts and our attitudes right whatever Jesus asked me to do that's what I want to do because you know there's again when it comes to followers of Jesus there's only one metric that matters and it's the metric of obedience there's only one there's only one measure that matters and that's the measure of obedience Um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer Heavenly Father we thank you for your love we thank you for John chapter 10 that we got to read today and and to study and to, to be encouraged by we thank you for Jesus that you are the good shepherd that you laid down your life for us your sheep we come to you now and remember you with simple bread and simple cup simple cup and we give you thanks and praise and glory please convict us of our sins was to confess our sins to you and to take that bread and cup with clean hearts and a pure conscience before you today god your love is awesome and your sacrifice calls us to follow you fully. In your name, Jesus, we give you praise. Amen.